Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. I'm Dr. John Ayanian, a professor of internal medicine in the medical school, professor in the School of Public Health and the Ford School of Public Policy, and I'm the director of the Institute for Healthcare Policy and Innovation. So the Institute for Healthcare Policy and Innovation, also known as IHPI, is one of the university's newest uh, university-wide institutes. It includes now about 650 faculty members from 15 schools and colleges across the Ann Arbor campus, as well as the Flint and Dearborn campuses. Our mission is focused on improving the quality, safety, equity, and affordability of healthcare through better collaborative evidence-based research to improve the policies and practices in healthcare here in the United States and around the world. So this court, this case began back in 2018 after the Congress in December of 2017 eliminated the tax penalty that was associated with the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act. The individual mandate was one of the key features back in 2010 uh, that basically required all Americans to purchase health insurance or pay a federal income tax penalty if they did not have affordable health insurance at the time they filed their taxes. Uh, that tax penalty could be up to two and a half percent of someone's income. And in 2017, the Congress, as part of its uh, tax reform bill, uh, reduced that tax penalty to zero. Uh, that was important because back in 2012, uh, the Supreme Court had ruled that the individual mandate and the Affordable Care Act as a whole was constitutional under Congress's power to impose taxes, uh, that it could not require individuals to purchase health insurance without a tax, but it could give them the choice to either pay a tax penalty or purchase insurance. And that was the nature of this court challenge that began in 2018. The challenge was brought by the attorneys general in 20 Republican-led states across the United States who argued that without the tax penalty, the individual mandate was unconstitutional. And without the individual mandate, the rest of the law was unconstitutional because Congress had not specifically said that that mandate could be severed from the rest of the law. Uh, so in December of 2018, a judge, a federal district court judge in New Orleans agreed with those Republican state attorneys general that the mandate was unconstitutional and that the rest of the law was also no longer constitutional. Uh, but th the ruling of that judge was, was stayed until it could be appealed first to a, uh, a circuit court of appeals, which actually agreed with part of the uh, district court judgment that uh, the individual mandate was unconstitutional, but uh, sent the case back to the district court judge to determine whether other parts of the law could continue to stand or not. So here we are now in mid-November of 2020, on November 10th, the Supreme Court uh, heard oral arguments in this case. Earlier this year, the Supreme Court had decided to consider the case on appeal before the final judgments were, uh, were determined by the District and Circuit Court of Appeals. 
And so oral arguments were heard on November 10th uh, by the uh, uh, groups representing the attorney general from the uh, Republican states challenging the law. And then uh, in the opposite view was taken by a number of democratic state attorney generals, as well as the U US House of Representatives uh, that the uh, law should continue to remain constitutional. I should also note that the Trump administration through the Department of Justice uh, agreed with the Republican state attorneys general and has argued before the Supreme Court uh, that the whole law is now unconstitutional because of the elimination of the tax penalty on the individual mandate. We expect that the uh, going forward, the Supreme Court will issue a ruling probably near the end of its term in June of 2021 uh, on the issues brought forward by this case. The Affordable Care Act in its current form stands until the Supreme Court issues its final ruling, which we're expecting in the middle of 2021. So for example, right now in November and December of 2020, it's what we call the open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act marketplaces. So anyone who is eligible for subsidized insurance coverage through the marketplace, also known as healthcare.gov in many states, can sign up for insurance for 2021. Uh, as well as the Medicaid coverage, which remains intact for adults with, with low incomes, uh, roughly less than $16,000 a year uh, in 38 states that have chosen to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, those adults are eligible to continue their coverage uh, through Medicaid. And for example, here in Michigan, what's known as the Healthy Michigan Plan. So the options for Congress very much depend on what happens in the Supreme Court decision. Uh, the Supreme Court could decide that the individual mandate is constitutional and therefore the law remains completely intact without any further action by Congress. It could decide that the individual mandate without the tax penalty is no longer constitutional, uh, but the rest of the law stands, what's uh, described as being severable from the individual mandate. Uh, in that case, the, the ruling would not require any specific action from Congress. Uh, it, because uh, the rest of the law would continue to function as it currently does, the marketplaces and the uh, Medicaid coverage in particular. Um, a third option is that uh, the Supreme Court could determine that the individual mandate is unconstitutional and other specific features such as the ACA marketplaces, uh, the guarantee of coverage for people who wish to sign up and the protections for pre-existing conditions uh, those were more closely tied to the mandate when the Affordable Care Act was enacted by Congress back in 2010. And so uh, the Supreme Court, if it overruled those related provisions and ruled them unconstitutional at this point, uh, then Congress would have to take specific action to preserve the ACA marketplaces and the option for subsidized private insurance through those marketplaces. And then finally, the most extreme ruling by the Supreme Court could be to agree with the federal district court that the mandate is unconstitutional and therefore the rest of the law, including the marketplaces, the coverage through Medicaid expansion, the options for young adults to stay on their parents' insurance, their family insurance plans through age 26, all those other provisions could be ruled unconstitutional. And that could wreak havoc with the healthcare system as a whole uh, because it would really uh, pull out all of the provisions of the ACA that the healthcare system has adapted to over the past decade 
and uh, could create substantial turmoil in, in the way that healthcare is delivered in the United States. In that case, uh, the Congress would have to take drastic action to address those uh, dramatic changes that we would see in healthcare uh, if the whole ACA was overturned. So the Supreme Court itself could declare portions of the Affordable Care Act unconstitutional, but it really does not have the power to decide what the replacement should look like. That would be up to Congress and the president, uh, depending on how the Supreme Court decision played out. Um, one very simple option would be to restore a very modest penalty associated with the individual mandate. For example, a, a, a $1 or $5 penalty uh, would uh, be very nominal, would have a minimal impact on uh, how people responded to the mandate, uh, but it would satisfy what could be the court's reason for declaring the mandate unconstitutional by restoring a very modest tax penalty associated with it. Um, so it will very much depend on the nature of the ruling. Certainly during the oral arguments on November 10th, there was a fair amount of skepticism among uh, both liberal and conservative justices on the court about whether the states had suffered, that were challenging, states challenging the law uh, had suffered any injury that would give them standing to request the court to overturn the law. Uh, as well as the argument that the uh, mandate is not severable from the rest of the law, which the Republican state attorney general were arguing. Uh, both Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh uh, expressed some skepticism uh, based on prior Supreme Court precedents that that uh, severability um, uh, argument that, that the whole law needed to be overturned uh, made sense based on Supreme Court's prior ruling. So it's possible the Supreme Court could take a very narrow uh, interpretation of this challenge uh, and just declare the mandate itself unconstitutional while leaving the rest of the law intact. So it's about 20 million Americans, 20 to 25 million Americans who've gained coverage through the ACA through either the marketplaces or the Medicaid expansion. If the law was overturned, uh, they could lose coverage very quickly uh, and be uh, left uninsured and with all the consequences, financial and health consequences that go with being uninsured. Uh, but there are others, for example, young adults who've been able to stay on their family's insurance plans through age 26, uh, Americans with pre-existing conditions who've been guaranteed coverage, which uh, that likely is over 100 million Americans who've benefited from th those protections uh, to purchase insurance uh, uh, without exclusion of pre-existing conditions. Uh, and there are even some features that are less well known. For example, uh, within the Medicare program, the Affordable Care Act has uh, improved the Part D drug coverage that Medicare beneficiaries have, uh, making it uh, financially uh, uh, better for uh, Medicare Part D enrollees. Uh, that would revert to 2010 uh, when there was what we call a donut hole, gaps in coverage uh, for Part D uh, drug coverage in Medicare. Um, and then finally, uh, the Affordable Care Act has eliminated cost sharing for effective preventive services, uh, mammograms for screening for breast cancer or colonoscopy procedures to screen for colon cancer. Um, the cost sharing that used to exist for those preventive services uh, would resume if the Affordable Care Act was overturned. Uh, and many, many Americans have benefited from that elimination of cost sharing. 
Well, at this point, it looks like there'll be two uh, runoff elections for the Senate seats in Georgia that will determine whether the Democrats or Republicans have control of the Senate in 2021. Uh, if uh, the Republicans were to win one or both of those seats, uh, it appears that uh, the Republicans will retain control of the Senate while uh, the Democrats have control of the House of Representatives. Then the key question uh, for listeners to uh, consider is, is whether the uh, Republican Senate and Democratic House of Representatives uh, can work together uh, to shore up the Affordable Care Act, uh, depending on how the Supreme Court rules. For example, uh, uh, maintaining the marketplaces or restoring a modest tax penalty uh, for the individual mandate if that's needed to maintain the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. If the Democrats were to win both of those Senate seats in Georgia, it looks like we'd have a evenly split uh, Senate, uh, 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans, in which case um, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, would be the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. And the Democrats, if they could maintain uh, all Democratic senators in agreement, uh, would have the power to uh, actually build on the Affordable Care Act, for example, with a public option, uh, such as President-elect uh, Biden had, had uh, uh, proposed during the presidential campaign. Uh, so really, I think in the coming weeks, it's uh, key to watch what happens with those Georgia runoff elections in early January, uh, and then how control of the Senate is determined by those elections uh, going forward. Uh, with the new administration and the new Congress uh, in January of 2021. It's very important for uh, Americans as voters and, and, and citizens and residents of the country uh, to pay attention to the debates around the Affordable Care Act and to make their opinions known to their legislative representatives in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Uh, we saw back in July of 2017, uh, there was a vote in Congress to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. Uh, that vote failed in the Senate by one vote when Senator John McCain uh, voted to preserve the Affordable Care Act. Um, that decision was very much influenced by the opinions of uh, voters across the country um, sharing their views uh, with their elected representatives in Congress. So uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act has uh, promoted expanded coverage uh, and stabilized the healthcare system in many ways over the past decade. Uh, to the extent that uh, voters agree or disagree with those changes, uh, it's important for them to let their representatives and senators know uh, so that they can be informed uh, as, you know, as they are through our uh, elective process uh, but also uh, when important decisions are being reached uh, in Congress on the future of health care in the United States. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.